0: And that king surprised everybody by the way he came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. If you were a Jew living at that time and you'd heard that history repeated for hundreds of years, over and over again, down through every generation and every segment of society, about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of David, the God of Moses, and that story had been repeated over and over again and you couldn't wait for the fulfillment of that. And then one generation goes, and another goes, and another goes, and now all of a sudden you're here, and you've been hearing all of these stories that have been transcending down through time for your lifetime, and now you're hearing that that King, that Messiah was really here, that your family and generations before had waited for, for centuries, you would have been there that day. You would have come that day just to give praise and celebration. Now, maybe you were one of the 5,000 who were there when he performed the miraculous. Maybe you were one of the blind who, when Jesus said, what can I do for you? And said, we want to see. Maybe you were the lame who were walking, and the stories are endless all the way through the New Testament. And you had heard all about that, or you had experienced it at some point or the other, and now all of a sudden you said, that Jesus, that Jesus? is coming into Jerusalem, I'm going to be there. You probably wouldn't want to miss it for anything. But it didn't happen in a way that everybody had anticipated. I mean, hearing about that king and then seeing that king and now seeing that king come in on a donkey is not what you expected. But it had been orchestrated by God for centuries. And it was almost as if at that given moment, and everything we celebrate now, starts a series of events that have incredible significance. Every single event of what we call Passion Week has incredible significance. I mean, the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey had an enormous amount of significance because it's not what they expected. And a few days from there, they're going to celebrate the Last Supper. We call it the Last Supper. They had no idea it was really going to be the Last Supper. He wouldn't want to miss it for anything. Matter of fact, he said, I've been waiting for this event for a long time. And he gathers them together in an upper room and demonstrates for them what love really looks like in washing the disciples' feet. And then all of a sudden they head to the Garden of Gethsemane and they see the intensity of his prayer. I mean, sweat of blood dropping down. And there was something about his voice, there was something I've got to believe about the intensity of what he is saying is going to happen that made them think, this is not an ordinary night. But they were there. And then all of a sudden, things began to unfold so rapidly they couldn't keep up, and some didn't even stay with it. There's the arrest, the trial, the beating, and then the crucifixion. And then, of course, the celebration of the resurrection, and it's the culmination of everything we celebrate from Christmas till now. What I find intriguing is that, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but Jesus never ever did talk about how he came, but he spent three years talking about why he came. I mean, it's not like he went to the disciples one day and said, you should have been there, man. That manger was cold. Should have seen the, I had no idea that all of these animals were going to show up. You know, nothing about how he came, but everything about why he came. He came through, obviously, the events of this week. Every event that we're about to celebrate over the next few days is what separates us from every other religion on the planet. We have a God who sacrificed Himself for us. Everybody else had gods they were sacrificing to get His attention. We have a God who was sacrificing Himself for us instead of us making a sacrifice to Him. We have a God who's not in the tomb. We have a God who raised himself from the dead. We have a God who so loved this world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. No other God could promise that. No other God would do that. Incredible reasons to celebrate. And so on Good Friday, we're going to gather here and we're going to remember his sacrifice and we're going to celebrate communion. Pastor Kozik's going to share a message. And then next Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate the resurrection in a little bit different way than you probably have ever seen before. And we're going to talk about everything that Christ came to do and everything He does in the lives of people. I'm delighted to know that I don't have to talk about God, but I can talk to God. And I'm delighted to know that I don't have to talk about what God used to do, but what God is doing and can do. This morning, I want to take you back to the Gospels and tie in what we only do two or three times a year, and that is finish a series with the book of James. If you've ever taken the opportunity to read through the Gospels, and especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this time of the year, you'll notice that each of them see the story from a uniquely different vantage point. Now, they're also writing to different audiences, but every single one of them saw some of the same things, and most of them wrote the same things about what they just saw. And then every so often you'll have one pick out something or notice something no one else did. They probably saw it, he's the one that writes about it. I point you to Matthew this morning in Matthew 21 in a very similar scene or a very familiar scene to what we just saw of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. He had already sent his disciples out to prepare it. He said to them, I've been telling you this is going to happen. I've been telling you I'm headed to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be beaten. Gave them all the litany of events, and it's going to start by that entry into Jerusalem. So I need you to go get a donkey, a mule, and bring him in, and I'm going to ride in. And it's going to start the events as they begin to unfold. And so they obeyed him. As he does, as they always did, the disciples went out and did exactly as Jesus instructed them. Wouldn't it be cool if we all did that? I mean, everything Jesus said we should do, we would do. They brought the donkey and the colt. Matthew 21, verse 6, if you have a Bible, he brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on him for him to sit on. An enormously large crowd spread their coats on the road, while others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted what had been shouted down through the centuries, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they said, who is this? Crowd said, it's Jesus. Notice what they say, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What's interesting about Matthew, he immediately goes into this temple scene. He enters the temple courts and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. In the Jerusalem temple, there were different places that people could go. And as they came to offer their sacrifice before Jesus offered himself, they would bring a dove, depending on their ability to pay, they would bring a dove or a ram or a a number of them. And if they had a really rough year and there was a lot of sin in their life, they probably brought a lot of doves or paraded a herd of sheep in. You kind of automatically knew how much sin they had been participating in by the enormity of the sacrifice they came to bring. And they expected to sacrifice that particular thing that they had bought or purchased or raised. But right as they got to go in, there were booth set up all over the place, and Annas the high priest at that time had people stay there and reject the sacrifices the people brought and say, theirs aren't sufficient. It's a little bit too blemished. It's not perfect enough. You need to buy ours and, of course, raise the prices. And so their sacrifice was rejected. He was offering his, but at a higher price, and the only way they could get inside to offer that sacrifice was to pay that price, and so many of them did. Jesus saw that and was livid. Entered the temple courts. He drove out all the buyers and sellers there. He overturned the tables and the money changers that were selling the doves. He said, it's written, my house is a house of prayer. And Matthew doesn't quote the full version that Isaiah does. Mark is the only one that does. But it says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, for everybody. You've made it a den of robbers. And then this piece in Matthew that he notices that no one else does. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. This is almost as if Matthew noticed something that nobody else saw. When Jesus did that and opened up the pathway, kind of opened up the door, people flooded in with what they had a need of, and that is, in this case, healing. What's fascinating about that is, in Matthew's case, he notices that Jesus finishes his three years of ministry on earth doing what he started to do in Matthew chapter 4. He went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. He healed every disease and sickness that was among the people. News about him spread everywhere, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, suffering seizures, demon-possessed, those who were suffering severe pain, the paralyzed, and he healed them. He finishes his ministry in Matthew 21 with how he started his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, healing. And the invitation is open to everybody. What's unique is James finishes his section of Scripture offering the same thing that Jesus offers at the beginning and end of His ministry, and that is healing. I believe it's one of His passions. He reminds us in this context of the power of prayer, the power of praise, and the power of healing. story goes, in 1968, a jet was coming into New York City's Uh, Kennedy Airport, the the wheels wouldn't go down. The pilot circled a few times, told the tower what was going to happen so that they could prepare, and they did. They foamed the runway, all the fire trucks came out, and all the stewardesses began to give the people their final instructions, and I've got a whole sermon on that one as well. Right before the plane touched down, the pilot comes across with these words, we're beginning our final descent. At this moment, in accordance with the International Aviation Code established at Geneva, it is my obligation to inform you that if you believe in God, you ought to right now pray. And I got to believe people did. What's interesting about that is they're praying in the midst of crisis. And unfortunately, a lot of us do the same. We wait till that moment of time when something happens or something we can't figure out, Or something that automatically goes beyond the scope of understanding. And then, as a last resort, we seek prayer. When James says, I need you to understand, it ought to be just simply a pattern of your life. It ought to be something you do all the time. Not just when we face difficulties. Not when the magic mood is right. Not when I just make sure that I have all my stuff in place. I want to make sure that I'm continuing to see God's face in every area of my life. And so he ends his letter with three questions and gives three answers. Anybody here in trouble? Then you ought to pray. Anybody happy? You ought to sing. If you're sick, call for the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. When Paul wrote Philippians, he said, I, I'm, I'm telling you, rejoice in everything. No matter what's going on in your life, rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything. But in prayer, give everything over to God. With thanksgiving, let Him know what's going on in your life. The result of that is this, and the peace of God that does not make sense. He says it transcends all understanding. Well, guard or keep your heart and your mind focused on Him. I really believe that James has been inferring for the last five chapters that prayer ought to be an ordinary part of our life. Not when the moon is right, my list is there, but an ordinary part of my life where I literally talk to God about everything. My day, my struggles, my finances, the list is endless of things that he talks about in these last five chapters. Going through difficulty, it's natural part of life. So talk to God about it. Talk to him about your likes, your pain, your pressure, your temptation, your struggles, your desire. One of the reasons that I love David in the Psalms so much is that he literally talks to God about everything never holds anything back, tells him when he's mad, tells him when he's struggling, tells him when he's excited, tells him about his pain, tells him about the things I just don't understand. God, I'll be really honest with you. I've done everything you've asked me to and things aren't going well in my life. They're down the road spitting in your face and everything seems to be going well. I don't get that. Ever been there? Sure. What I love about David and what I think James is saying is, man, talk to God about that. If you've got a great marriage, don't you have a great marriage because you talk about everything? There are times that I've heard people say, well, we just just don't talk about that area. And I thought, what a shame. When you have the opportunity to build the depth of your relationship with another individual that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, you want to unload, you want to talk about everything. God delights in that kind of relationship. You're upset? Tell him. You're happy? Tell him. You're hurting? Tell him. He can handle that. So James says, I want it to be a part of your life, so if you're in trouble, pray. Second question he asks is, are you happy? Any of you happy? And Any any of you happy? I'm kidding. (laughs) Praise, which is why we do what we do. One of the greatest values of praise, somebody said, is it decentralizes self. I find that it's not now about me or what I like or a song that I understand or a song that I like or a style that I like. I find that it's an opportunity for me just to either tell him and join with others in telling him how much I love him, what I like about God, what I love about God, what I just enjoy in the experience. God says, I'm telling you, I, lo- I love that so much, I'll dwell right in the praise of my people. I mean, I'll show up. I'll come right where you are, not out there somewhere or far away, I'll right, I'm right where you're at. So if you're happy, give Him praise. Last Sunday morning, we had the opportunity to do that. I heard more emails and texts about last Sunday's service than the entire series of the book of James. I had Twelve people say, man, it was unbelievable. Enjoyed it because that was that moment where all of us were centralized and focused on one thing, the coming of Jesus and giving Him praise. So well, James said, when you're happy, man, don't wait. Just praise God. Give him adoration. Give him praise. Allow him to know because it's an opportunity for us to express what's going on in our lives. Then he has a third question. Anybody sick? This is what you do. Call for the elders of the church. Have them pray over you. Have them anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus. That prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise him up. Not them, the Lord. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. So then you've got to confess your sins to each other. Pray for one another so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, if you've got a disease and you go to the doctor and he gives you a prescription, how many of you have it filled? Do we all? Right? Here he's giving you a prescription. He's saying, if you have a need, this is the prescription I'm going to give you. The only way God heals... There are a number of ways that God heals. This is one. And we use it and utilize it here all the time. Pretty much every Sunday morning, we give the opportunity for people to come and be prayed over. I don't always mention it to my fault. I don't always announce it. I don't always say it. I don't always go back to James. But every single Sunday, every single Sunday, today we're going to do it uniquely, but every Sunday, if you've got a physical need at the end of the service, and even if I have not announced it or said a word, You have the freedom to come up here, and we're going to pray over you. In this context here, he gives us a process to go through so that we understand what it is that we're asking God to do and how we come to God in asking him. In this case, you see the order. If you're sick, let us know. If you're sick, you call. I don't carry oil around with me. I don't run around saying, you're sick, I got some oil just in case you wanted to. No. He says, if you're sick, let us know sometimes we get, I I don't get very much criticism. I love this place. I don't get a whole lot of criticism, but a a lot of times, well, you know, I was sick and nobody knew. Well, did you call it? Well, no, I just figured somebody would know. I I don't, we have 1,800 people that claim CAC is their church family, so we can't know all of that, so let us know. If you're sick, let us know. We'll anoint with oil. There is nothing magical or mystical about the oil. We use olive oil. Probably went to Giant Eagle and got it. There's no magic in the oil. I, I honestly now somebody could correct me, and I, I'm okay with that. I don't believe there's any such thing as healing oil. Wow, this came from Israel. Okay, ours came from Giant Eagle. <laughs> I, I, I believe it's a. It's not the oil. I've been saying that forever. I I do it every time in membership class, and I'm going to tell you all the same story. I probably have told it once before. Didn't I tell you last Sunday I wasn't going to repeat my stories when I got old, and here I am? But in membership class, I tell them about Jesus, our Savior. We are absolutely convinced the only, only way to get into heaven is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. That's why He came. That's why we celebrate. He is our sanctifier. You cross that line into salvation. You don't want to stay there. You want to continue to grow in your relationship with God every single day of your life till you see Him face to face. He is coming back, and we're going to celebrate it next Sunday and talk about it a few Sundays after that. And we also believe in Christ, our healer, that we're not going to sit here and talk about what God used to do, but what He is doing and can do, and we offer healing. We also say there's nothing mystical or magical about the oil, and there's a lot of people coming from various backgrounds who've never heard of this, and so we try to explain it. And then I give him this one example when I always say there's nothing mystical or magical about the oil. I've got a friend who has a car dealership that we used to go to uh, for a number of years in a number of vehicles, walked in one day. He knew, he's CMA and knew what we do. And he walked in and said, "Uh, man, I hurt my back, need you to pray over me. And I said, well, I'd love to do that, but I didn't bring any oil. He said, that's okay, let's go to the back. So we go to the back and he brings out one of those little cans. You all see the Wizard of Oz, you know, the tin man's (laughs) little can, I've said to my wife at this age of my life I wish I had one of those because every single time I get up in the morning saying none of these joints work anymore (laughs) if I could just oil them and lubricate them maybe I could walk once I start walking so he so he comes back says hold out your hand I held up my hand he just squirted a few seats okay said you've said it's nothing about the oil I've heard your other pastors preach it's nothing about the oil need you to pray over me and ask God to heal me and so I prayed over him with 10w40 for all I know and God intervened. There is nothing about the oil. If you ever have a chance to read Philip Keller's book, Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, you've got to get it. It's probably 20, 30 years old. So I always laugh at that line. Somebody says, well, you know, that movie's dated or that song's dated. Well, you know, so is the Bible, but it still works. It's an older book. But I'm telling you, he looks at Psalm 23 in a way that I've never seen it before. He said, when the sheep comes in wounded, beaten up, scratched by an animal of some kind or been attacked by a wolf or just going through thorns and got cuts all over it. The shepherd loves me so much, he just kind of anoints it with oil and he puts it on me and it soothes and it, and it just feels so good. That's what David is saying in Thou anointest my head with oil. Not just as the king and, and, and the prophet of God when he put David down and he prayed over him and anointed him with oil as a new king, he's also reminiscent of that oil that has a healing balm to it or a healing nature to it. Verse 15, he tells us how to pray, and that is simply with faith. Now I'm not saying if you have enough faith, you're gonna be healed, and if you don't have enough faith, you won't be healed, and if you weren't healed, you didn't have enough faith. I honestly don't believe in that. I know it's been a factor all the way down through the years of some who have said, Well, I must not have prayed right or didn't have enough faith, God didn't heal me, and those who seem to have a lot of faith, God healed. And I've heard Jesus say, Your faith has made you whole. And I get that, and I understand the difference between the two. But I I, I honestly believe what James is saying, look, just don't be double-minded in your faith. He started chapter 1 by saying that. I mean, don't be wishy-washy. You believe in God, then come to Him. You believe that God can still heal, then ask Him. Trust Him either way, but come and ask. Have the courage to believe that this guy that I'm praying to today still heals and still hears. Someone asked, I'll leave the results in his hands, but I'm common in faith believing, which is what he's saying. He also, in chapter uh, 5 and verse 15 to 16, kind of makes a direct correlation between sin and sickness and confession and healing, which is unique. In Greek, the word confess here in this context is in the imperfect tense, which means sin presently continuing in your life. Not the sins that you've confessed when you came to Jesus in salvation. Those are always under the blood of Christ. These are sins you have not dealt with, sins that you're still hanging on to. We're born into sin with a sinful nature, and sickness came into the world as a result of that. But sometimes if we're not careful, there's an area of our life that we just keep hanging on to, and we've not let go of, and it's gotten entrenched so far that it's now affecting us physically. 1 Corinthians 11 is one of those examples. Communion passes that I probably have quoted every single time we share in communion. Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread and cup and passed it out. Said, this is my body, this is my blood. Now everything you've ever wanted is in me. No longer sacrifices, no longer rams or bulls or doves. It's me and me alone. Before you do that, let me just stop for a minute. He said, before you do that, you need to look inside. Make sure there's nothing blocking no barriers and I could tie in First Peter three and the list is endless, but before you partake of communion, you ought to make sure that the channel is open. Some of you had not done that, and some, he said in 1 Corinthians 11:30, are already sick, and some, to be honest with you, have already died. So my advice to you would be deal with the issue, because if you don't, God says, I will. Now sometimes sin is not the issue at all. In John 9, there was a typical mentality because all the way back to the book of Job, when Job sinned, all his friends said, what did you do? I mean, you've lost everything. It must have been a major sin. In John chapter 9, Jesus comes upon a guy who was blind The disciples asked the question that they've been asking for centuries. Who sinned? This man or his parents? He's, he's blind, so there's got to be some sin. Jesus said, no, it's not a result of sin. Neither this man or his parents. This happens so the works of God can be visibly displayed. Original sin, of course. Personal sin, not necessarily. Not all sickness is related to sin, but I do believe there's more sometimes than we realize or may be willing to admit. Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, some of the stuff we carry around that has a tendency for not careful because we've carried it so long to affect us physically. God's grace can cover it, so we don't need to carry it. But in this context, James says, I need you before you ask for healing to let that stuff go. Confess. And he even takes it to another level and says, confess to each other, confess to somebody else. We're never going to ask you to publicly stand up and confess to all of us. But he does say, confess to one another. As you come for healing, say the person that is asking you to, that you're asking to pray over them, I, I need you to know I've, I've got something on my heart I, I've got to get rid of before I ask you to heal. I don't know about you, I I have found, it's it's strangely unusual, maybe, I don't know, but there's absolutely nothing I can talk to God about. There are a few things I can't talk to people about. Now, maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you can talk to people about everything you're afraid to talk to God, and and maybe that's true in your life. What he's saying here is, you know, you you want healing, I need you to know there's some stuff in your life you've got to get rid of as you ask. And so there's a person standing there who wants to pray over you. you need to unpack that with them. They're not going to remind you. They're not going to tell you about it. They're just simply going to ask you what's on your heart. What do you need to unpack? What do you need to get rid of before you ask for healing? Prayer can be powerful. It gives us an unbelievable example, probably one of my favorite, Elijah. I mean, when, when, when you look at the tie-in, I'm going to ask God to heal. I mean, that's a pretty big ask. Right, Let me give you an example, he said, Elijah. I'm going, well, sure, it's Elijah. Man, the guy called down fire from heaven, asked a drought to, to happen, and it did, asked for rain to now come after three and a half years, and the rain came. That's Okay, if he was praying, if, if Elijah was here, I'd go to him. I'm not going to one of you guys or one of the elders. I'm going to him. And then he says, but you need to know, Elijah's an ordinary guy just like us. i the guy who prayed down fire from heaven who had the rain stop and then the rain come again is an ordinary guy like us James would say yeah so you don't have to wait for Elijah to show up when one of the elders are standing here one of the pastoral staff is standing here we're ordinary people asking an extraordinary God to do the amazing but that kind of power and that kind of prayer is incredible it was a kind of relationship obviously in Elijah's case that had been built over time the kind of relationship built on devotion and character and the kind of relationship that just didn't simply come to say let me just try some magic potion or as one last resort to see what God would do it's a opportunity to say God I've been walking with you for a day or a week or a month or a year or 50 years and in that journey I've learned a lot about you and today I'm asking you to touch me physically And in that journey, I've only been on this journey for a week, but I've seen and I've heard you do some amazing things, or God, I've been with this for 50 years, and I'm just asking you again to heal. So when you're in trouble, pray. When you're happy, sing. And if you're sick, ask God to heal. So what we're going to do this morning is opposite of what we did last Sunday morning. I mean, last Sunday morning was up and celebrative. This morning, we're going to be reflective. Dave and Pam are going to come out and sing, Lord, I need you, Psalm song that most of us know. What I'd love for you to do, if you have a physical need here this morning, get up right where you're at. I know it'd be easier if everybody was standing, but we want you to just stay and respect the moment for a while. And, and so just get up where you're at and come on up front. There'll be people all over here, elders that are in this sanctuary and pastoral staff that can pray with you. If we've got too many, I've got, I know there's some solid believers who just love to come and pray. What I'm going to ask you to do is, with that person, share your stuff. I'm holding on to anger. I've been holding on to this for a long time, and I don't want to anymore, so this is what I'm going to get off my chest, and I'm going to ask for healing, and whatever it may be, and tell them. If there's more, just wait for a while, and we'll, we'll move you forward. Don't wait for one long line or one particular person. Just go to whoever's there and ask them to pray over you. And we're going to ask the rest of the audience to stay for a little while. And if it gets too close to the end, we'll dismiss you. But I'd love for you to just stay and be praying for the people that are coming forward. That God would do an incredible work in their lives. Could be emotionally, physically, financially. Could be a ton of different things that you're dealing with this morning. But we're going to give you the opportunity to do exactly what James 5 says. Pray over you. Anoint you with oil. Allow you to confess. And ask God to heal. God, these are your moments, this is an opportunity for us to spend time with you, to allow you to hear our hearts and our needs and our circumstance, and seek your face for healing for us this morning. So would you do that in these wonderful moments? Visit us with your amazing presence.
1: runs deep.
0: Father, as we continue to seek your face and for those who have come here this morning as we just simply wait on you. Can't wait to see what you're going to do. But really, Father, what we want is what you're doing today. We thank you for the faith that we have to come to a God who hears and understands and cares. A God that we don't have to look back to, but a God we look to now. So we just ask you to continue to work. Bless us throughout this week. We look forward to what you're going to say and do on Friday night. Celebration on Sunday, can't wait. So allow it to be a great week as we look forward to the culmination of the celebration of everything you came to do. In the name of Christ, I pray. God bless you. You go quietly. I appreciate that. We'll see you next week.